Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you, and I've got to tell you, I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited uh, to be before you. I love to preach. I, I really do. Um, I love to preach. I love to teach, and I love to preach all of God's word uh, almost at any time. It's, it's, uh, it reminds me of a story, and I hope I don't tell too many stories or we'll be here till 3 or 4 o'clock, right? I've got a lot of stories. Anyway, reminds me of a story. Um, there were some students from here at Southern Seminary. This is many years ago who we, a large group came out to Southeast Asia, to the country where Gail and I live and, and served in, and they came to study spiritual warfare. So one of the conversations they had was actually at Gregia Baptist Pratama, our church. You have to excuse the language there. Uh, it's all good. That means First Baptist Church is what I just said. But anyway, it just sounds better in the original language, <laughs> okay? But anyway... Um, so we were chatting with our pastor about spiritual warfare and things like this. And he talked about some pretty scary stuff and that kind of thing. And so uh, I was trying to not really trip him up, but I was trying to ask some rather awkward questions so that he would just tell us uh, what spiritual warfare was really like as a pastor in that place. And so he was talking about helping people who had demon problems, and we could talk about that some other time. But I said, okay, great. Um, what do you do? And he talked about, well, I, I, I read from the Word of God and we pray, but we turn to the Word of God. I said, great. Where? And he looked at me with a strange look on his face. I said, yeah, what, what's your go-to kind of passage, you know, what, what's the one that works? Once again, in silence, he looked at me like, dummy, don't you know which one? And I said, no, really, I, what, what's the one that, if, you, if, if it's really, really troublesome, where's your go-to? He picked up his Bible, and it was old and worn out and marks all over it, and he flipped it back and forth. He goes, well, well it's all good. Isn't that true? It's all good. So in that same vein, I like to preach from all of it. But today, this morning, uh, I want to draw our attention to just some of it. In fact, a very small part. If you have um, your Bible with you, please turn to Luke chapter 24. So the end of the gospel of Luke. And as you're turning there, let me just uh, sort of set up the problem, if you will, or the issue. And it may not be your problem, but I'm sure it's someone's. We often define mission and missions out of our experience and out of that of many missionary organizations. And so we look around us at mission activities and, and mission organizations and some who have massive advertising campaigns and widespread appeal and our understanding of mission and missions bends to that which we see and experience. But is that the best we can do? As you might imagine, I certainly hope you imagine, as you might imagine, the Bible has much to say about the Lord's mission for the church. And our best hope is to turn to God's word and reorient our minds such that we understand mission and missions according to God's trustworthy word. Now, of the many places we can turn, we're going to the end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 44. Then he, that is Jesus, then he said to them, his disciples, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Now, Father, it's... I just want to speak to you, Father, personally. My friends here have not come to hear me. We have come to hear thee. So I pray, Father, that the words of your servant be your words that the words heard by your servants be your words and only your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So in these six verses, Jesus explains the biblical mission with seven attributes. So here's our outline. And yes, it has seven points. Biblical mission is conferred upon his church confirmed in the scriptures, centered on the gospel, calls us to proclaim repentance and faith, is carried to the nations, confessed by believers, and clothed in Holy Spirit power. So that's where we're headed. There's no secret. We all know. And I hope that as we work through this passage, you'll see these seven attributes arise out of the text. Number one, or the first attribute, biblical mission is conferred upon Christ's church. Look at verse 44. Jesus says, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. So these are Jesus' words. They're his instructions that he conferred upon us. Well, to whom does our Lord issue this command? Well, in the moment, in, in the passage that we just read, in that moment, uh, he is speaking to his disciples. However, the New Testament indicates that this commission is not limited to the 12 apostles, but given to the church. Now, how do we know this? I'm glad you asked that question. In the New Testament, we see people, set, uh, people apart from the 12 carrying on this very mission to spread the gospel. Now, you may have some uh, names or examples come to mind. Let me draw your attention to some. Stephen, for example, one of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6 and 7, he's an outspoken apologist and gospel preacher. And he's taking the mission upon himself even to the point of martyrdom. But Stephen's not alone, is he? In Acts chapter 8, it opens with the news that a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem and that except for the apostles once again, 
the believers scattered throughout the region. And then we're told that these believers, ordinary, average, you and me kind of believers, not the apostles, that these believers who were scattered throughout the region, then we're told that they went about preaching the word. They went about carrying on the gospel mission. Clearly, the church understood from the very beginning that the mission of our Lord is conferred upon the church. Certainly now, not every individual member of the church is intimately involved with the precise implementation of this commission. For example, some teach, some preach, and on and on. But together, Together, we as the church, as the people of God, as the body of Christ, together we set apart and prepare and send forth and encourage and support the some that will go. Furthermore, Jesus affirms that these are his words that he spoke consistent with his teaching that he had spoken to his followers. Putting this all together, we can say that the true church has always understood the mission consistent and the mission persistent. His command is our commission. It's conferred upon the church. Therefore, you know, we think in terms of precepts and important lessons from the Scripture, that's good and that's right. But what's, what's the therefore? What's the implication? What does it mean for, for my life, for your life, for our life as the people of God? Therefore, let me say about this thing, we have great confidence, not in our strength, not in our strategies, but in his sovereign will and ways. Now, I enjoy teaching leadership, as some of you know, and one of the keys to good leadership is to lead with clear vision and direction. So companies and organizations spend all kinds of hours and perhaps even millions trying to communicate their purpose and their mission and their vision. The church needs no other mission, no other purpose than to glorify God. No other mission than to preach and teach the gospel. No other vision than the throng of men and women and boys and girls gathered about the throne, worshiping the Lamb of God. It is Christ the Lord who speaks these words, and he speaks it to his people. We are his people indeed. So, biblical mission is conferred upon the church by Christ. The second attribute, biblical mission is confirmed in the Scriptures. The Lord continues in verse 44. There he says that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Our mission is no less than the outworking of of the fulfillment of God's word substantiated in the scriptures, all of scripture. Not only a promise here and there, not limited to the law or even the law, the prophets and the Psalms. No. The nomenclature here, the law, the prophets and the Psalms, refers to the whole of the Old Testament. In other words, all of God's magnificent revelation pertains to, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, all of God's word pertains to the gospel and our mission. Mission arises out of the whole 
of God's word. Now, Luke goes on to report in verse 45, he being Jesus, opened their minds, that is the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So our mission has been revealed in God's word, in the whole of God's word, and we must sit under teachers of God's word and study to understand it and to apply it and, friends, be transformed by it. Therefore, we must teach the whole of God's word, or as I like to call it, the gospel deep and complete. Interesting. Scripture uses that, uh, that phrase gospel in two ways. The first way is the way that you're most familiar with, I would guess, and that's what I call the gospel simple and sufficient. That, that, that core story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the, the substitutionary atonement. But there's more, isn't there? The scriptures also speak of the gospel deep and complete. And Jesus opened their minds to understand the whole of his word that points to the core of his word, the gospel deep and complete and the gospel simple and sufficient. Biblical mission is confirmed in the scriptures, so we teach the gospel deep and complete. The third attribute, biblical mission is centered on the gospel. Turn your eyes to verse 46. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. Our mission is centered on Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. That's the song we just sang, isn't it? What he's done. All the glory and the honor given to the Son, my sins are forgiven, and now I'm going to forget the rest of the words. Forgive me, doxology. <laughs> Certainly. Whereas, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised upon the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the 12. The substitutionary atonement by Jesus on our behalf is the good news. It's the gospel. It's the center of our mission, or as I've already referred to it, the gospel simple and sufficient. Now, if the gospel is our center, then that means other things are not. Some of you might need to pull your toes back a tad. Social justice, it's not the center. Poverty alleviation, it's not the center. Disaster relief, not the center. Ecological rescue, not the center. These things and many, many more, oh my goodness, the list is so long, friends, though good must not prevail over the gospel. The church must, in righteousness, act on these matters. That's true. But we will advocate and we will serve and we will help and we will rescue and we will relieve, not instead of the gospel, but because of the gospel and, most importantly, friends, for the gospel. Don't get all that mixed up. 
Those good things that are on your heart, and they're on your heart because you're compassionate people, you're kind. We love you for that. But that's not the gospel. That's a result of the gospel. And so we do those things, and we certainly do. And, and I have been involved in those things. Mom and Dad, gee whiz, you guys did tons of all of those things, and rightfully so. We don't ignore poverty, and we don't ignore injustice. We don't ignore these things, but they don't replace the gospel. We, we don't ignore them because of the gospel, and we don't ignore them most critically for the sake of the gospel. If we're not careful, we'll be satisfied with temporal fixes and we'll forget eternal problems. And that, friends, is a deadly lapse indeed. A gospel-less mission is not a biblical mission, period. Therefore, we must ensure and remain fixed upon the gospel, simple and sufficient, even as we teach the gospel deep and complete. Biblical mission is centered on the gospel. And this center of our faith leads quite naturally to the fourth attribute of our mission. Namely, biblical mission calls us to proclaim repentance and faith. Verse 47, the first part, goes like this. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. Now, let me work back to front in this particular case. So we have divine authority for our mission because we mish, and that might be a new verb in your vocabulary. It's okay. It'll be a fine. So we mish in his name. The authority that we have is to proclaim repentance and faith. Now, allow me to make a few comments about our proclamation for just a moment. A biblical proclamation is both cognitive and affective. It appeals to the mind and to the heart. We witness persuasively and winsomely. When we teach people about Jesus, and I learned this from a guy named Mike Shipman. When we teach people about Jesus, it's like coming up alongside someone, putting your arm around them and saying, look, there he is. Run to him. Run to him with all you have. Because apart from him, you have nothing. You have no hope and no future. And no good, and no right, and no life, no joy, run to him. Diaz. Some of you have heard this story, and so you know why I have trouble telling it. Diaz had... Uh, been our friend for a long time, uh, many years. And uh, don't report this to Dr. Muller. He might have words with me, all right? <laughs> I had never told him about Jesus.
to my great shame. We were at a wedding. Interestingly enough, it was an um, undercover policewoman's wedding. You know, it happens. Um, <laughs> people get married, um, and your friends have all kinds of jobs. Um, so she was an undercover policeman and um, uh, a, a very good friend, so we, a mutual friend. So we were at this wedding, and there I saw Diaz. Oh, he's got this bright, smiling face. Um, He's nominally Muslim, uh, but Diaz runs up, and as always, he gives me this big bear hug. And uh, in that moment, the, the spirit of the living God spoke to me and said, you've never shared the gospel with this guy. I'm sitting here hugging him. Isn't that pathetic? Hugging my lost friend with whom I had never shared the gospel? Thankfully, in this moment, I responded positively. It wasn't the time. We didn't have the place. I said, Diaz, I'm, I'm coming to your home city uh, next week, and, and I've got something important to talk to you about. And we, so we got on our phones, you know how you do, right? And we set a schedule, and sure enough, the next week I went uh, down to that city, and I met him, and um, we were like at a food court in a mall. Thankfully, it was empty. It was just the two of us. Actually, his wife was there as well, and I, I barely knew his wife. Uh, but they sat across from me, um, across from the table, and I, I shared Jesus. The, the, the thing is, uh, so I shared the facts, you know, I shared the story. Uh, uh, I, I, I shared the information about Jesus, that's for sure. But I, 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 I did so with great affect, and it's not like something I had to gin up. I love Diaz. And I love my Lord. And so with, with great emotion, and you find that hard to believe, I know. I'm such a stoic sort of fellow, right? <laughs> anyway, with great emotion and, and tears, I was appealing to him. I said, Diaz, you got to believe this, man. Now, I wish I could tell you the story ended in him coming to faith. And, and in so much as I know, he has not. Lord, draw him to yourself. But do you know when we, this gospel that we tell, it's not just facts, it's not just information, it's life and it's hope. So when we make the appeal, when we proclaim the gospel, when we tell people about Jesus, we're making a, a, an intellectual and a cognitive appeal that's true and we must be persuasive in that way, but we're also appealing to the heart and we must be winsome in that way. The biblical mission calls also for, not only for us to proclaim, but just as much as we proclaim, it calls for a response and a response of repentance and faith. A response of repentance is a turn from the old to the new, from sin to salvation, from guilt to grace, from works to worship. A response of faith is trust not in ourselves, but in the one who died and rose for us. Faith is trust not in me, but in thee. Biblical mission calls us to proclaim repentance and faith. Number five, biblical mission is carried to the nations. Verse 47 continues, indicating that this proclamation is, quote, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, note the universality of gospel proclamation. The gospel is for all to hear bar none. Get that in your head. 
all, bar none, need to hear the gospel. For some, the gospel of Christ is the stench of death because it proclaims judgment upon those who persist in unbelief. But for those of us who believe, it is the sweet aroma of life, is it not? Recall the Lord's covenant with Abraham that through him all the peoples and families of the earth would be blessed. And in Luke 2, chapter 2, Simeon prays as he held the baby Jesus, saying, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations, and the glory of your people Israel. Therefore, the nations must hear and messengers must be sent so that they can hear As Paul reminds us so eloquently, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call upon him of whom they have never believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless sent? Preachers must go to the nations, but what or who are they? Who are the nations? What are the nations? Is this command to proclaim the gospel to nation states? And if so, nation states of what historical era? No. The nations may be understood here as symbolic of the lost without the gospel. Let me be a bit more specific. Specifically, The nations here is symbolic of the lost segmented away from the gospel. You see, we humans lack no ingenuity and we lack no imagination in segregation. We're awfully good at that. We segregate by culture and tribe. We segregate by communication and language. We segregate by community and society. We segregate by country and state. And these segments, these segregations, hinder people from hearing the gospel. I won't share the gospel because they're not my kind of people. I can't share the gospel because they speak another language. I won't share the gospel because they're from a different community or society. I won't share the gospel or can't share the gospel because they're in another country or another state. But the gospel is for all. That's it. No matter what divides us, separates us, segregates us, the gospel is God's barrier-breaking act of love and all need to hear. Hadn't planned on this, but maybe someone needs to hear it. You know, sometimes in our mind, we, uh, let me, we take upon ourselves the role of the Holy Spirit. We decide who needs to hear the gospel and who doesn't. I will or I will not, more often, share the gospel with this person because fill in your blank. Now, sometimes it's not the things I spoke of before. It's not culture, communication, community, or country. Sometimes we just judge they're not ready. Oh, really? Since when 
did we become the Holy Spirit who knows the hearts of men? Paul quotes Hosea, declares God's word, saying, those who are not my people will be called my people. And she who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. The gospel must be proclaimed to all people, all societies and tribes and places and in all languages, for this is the very mission of God to bring glory to himself and the Lamb. There's no question about that. Revelation, we, see, we hear of John's revela- uh, his vision, and he says, After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, doing what? Standing before the throne. And before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Biblical mission means we send missionary messengers from where disciples are to where disciples are not. So if you have any question about where we send a missionary, there's a simple definition. By the way, there's a bit more in my missiology class. We'll explain that later. But you get the gist of it, right? Where do we missionaries go? Where do we send them? We send them where faith is not. We send them where disciples are not. We send them where the gospel is not. The mission will not happen if we don't go and if we don't send and if we're not sent. Biblical mission is carried to the nations and now for the final two attributes of biblical mission. Number six, biblical mission is confessed by believers. Verse 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. These things refers to nothing less than the gospel message, the gospel simple and sufficient. Witnesses are those who have seen and now speak. We tell of what we know. We tell of what we've seen. And you in the original sense means, of course, the apostles and disciples, but now it refers to you and I. For surely we have seen him, surely we know him, surely we love him. So Jesus is speaking to you and to me, for we are witnesses of these things. You must know Jesus, and if you know Jesus and have been transformed by Jesus, well, speak of Jesus. Biblical mission is confessed by believers. Number seven. Biblical mission is clothed in Holy Spirit power. Finally, in verse 49, he says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, that you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So I have news for you. This mission of which we've been speaking is just too much. People's eyes are blinded, their ears are deafened to the glorious gospel. Matthew puts it like this. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see and never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes they can barely hear and their eyes have closed lest 
they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn or repent, and I would heal them. Paul writes the same thing, slightly different words. He says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day, he says. Don't be mistaken. All of our pleading, all of our persuading, all of our appeal to the minds and the hearts will not matter one iota unless the Lord wills their eyes and hearts and ears to be open. But I have more news for you. This mission is not just too much, it's far too much. The world is too vast and the language is too many and poverty is too deep. Sin is far too vile and hatred is far too strong and the enemy is far too wicked. You and I are far too comfortable. You and I are far too complacent. You and I are far too weak. This mission is just too much. Indeed, it's far too much. But take courage. He who is with us is the Lord of hosts. And he's worthy of the praise of the peoples of the earth. And they sang a new song to him saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign upon the earth. Biblical mission is clothed in Holy Spirit power and in that power, nothing is too much. Nothing. And let me tell you, in our eyes, in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, absolutely everything is too much. It's too much in this chapel. It's too much on this campus. It's too much in the classroom and in your homework, in Jefferson County and in this city, in this state, in this nation, much more than when you leave and cross waters and borders and languages and cultures. It's way too much. If it weren't for God, (laughs) man, that's the way to go, isn't it? Holy Spirit power. So let me conclude. Daryl Bach speaks of the disciples' response to this mission in this day. Let me paraphrase him. He says, theirs was not just obedience. Theirs was joy and praise and thanksgiving. You see, the resurrection strengthened these disciples. When persecution and rejection became strong, they loved their enemy. They took their message of the living, ascended Christ to the world. They changed the world, and they challenged the world to receive the gospel with humility. They warned of the judgments to come. But their mission was not a task or a business. It was a joy, an act of worship, and experience of Jesus' presence in his will. I often refer to this and to missionary service as a most difficult joy. It was a most difficult joy for Gail's parents who were with the Lord, Erling and Carrie Valerius, 31 years in Brazil. 
It was the most difficult joy for mom and dad. 34 years. The place where I was born, Bangladesh. It was the most difficult joy for Gail and I for 20 years in Indonesia. And it was the most difficult joy for many others who have gone forth from, from here, friends, from this very place. Is it yours? Should that most difficult joy be yours? Not our call, all are called to missionary service, but not all should go. Not everyone's a missionary. So let me say something to you who are not sent to the nations. Teachers, instruct and transform us for Christ and our mission. Leaders, lead and influence us for Christ and our mission. Pastors, preach and equip us for Christ and our mission. Counselors, encourage and strengthen us for Christ and our mission. Worship ministers, fuel our hearts and minds for Christ and our mission. But some of you, leave us. Some of you, go. Go teach. Go lead. Go pastor. Go counsel. Go worship, go witness and make disciples of our Lord. Plant churches in his name among the nations to the ends of the earth. Go for Christ and for his glory. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word, but we need more than hearing. We need to be transformed by it. And Father, that can only happen by your will and your work. And so we dare to ask you this day, Father, transform our lives that we might be about and for your glorious mission to magnify yourself among the nations. May it be so. Amen.